Hello and welcome to Stock Talk, a podcast series which brings together livestock specialists, vets and farmers to give you the tools you need to improve your business and embrace the future. Stock Talk is presented by myself, Robert Ramsey, and produced by Kirsten Blackwood as part of the Farm Advisory Service in association with the Scottish Government. So we're living in interesting times and farming is without doubt changing and a lot of the changes in farming um, are driven by research. So today we're joined by two colleagues of mine, SRUC researchers, uh, Nicola Lamb and Claire Morgan Davis, who work out of Kirkton Helen Mountain Research Centre. Could I ask Nicola just for you to give a brief introduction to you and what you do um, at Kirkton? Yeah, so I'm Nicola Lamb. I've been at Curtin for about 25 years now, working as part of the research team. And I mainly focus on the breeding programme there. Um, so I'm a geneticist, so I'm interested in sheep production and genetics. Awesome. And what about you, Claire? What, what's your interest? What, what are you into? So- um, like Nicola, I've been at Carcton for quite a long time, not 25 or fully 23 years. Um, and my main interest is really in, um, at the moment, it's uptake of technology by sheep farmers. So that's where um, I'm mostly interested in. And I've got quite a few European projects that I thought we might discuss today as well with you, Robert. Yeah, awesome. Look, looking forward to it. So could one of you just explain... For those that don't know, so Kirkton is a pretty high-profile research farm, but I know many people maybe won't have heard too much or, or certainly recently maybe um, not so sure as to what, what goes on at Kirkton. And, and I'm always amazed by the vast volume and diversity of work that goes on at Kirkton. So could somebody just explain what Kirkton is to start with? Um, Kirkton is, uh, is well, Kirkton and Uktatire, it's, it's two research farms. One is more research-based, the other one is, is more the commercial unit. In total, I think we've got short of 2,200 hectares of land. Most of it is hill farm. Um, and I think we're very representative of, of classic hill farm in the areas on the west and northwest of Scotland. Um, we've got now, I don't know, 1,300 sheep, Nicola, something like that. And I think we've got 40 cows as well. So we don't know much about the cows because we're not doing much research on them. They're more the commercial flock. And um, <clears throat> But Nicola and I are mostly interested on the sheep side. And there have been many um, system-wide research done on this uh, research flock. What, so I think you've summed it up pretty well. It's a, you know, it's a tough West Coast wet hill farm. Very representative. Yes. The, what, what about how many people work there? How many people are um, are on site roughly? So I think um, we are probably six researcher and technician, um, and uh, plus our boss Davy McCracken who comes in and out. Um, we've got I think there are three research staff now, uh, three farm staff. Sorry, so Ewan with uh, Ewan Campbell is a farm manager and two shepherd as well. Um, and we're, as I say, a mixture of researcher and technician. And we're kind of a mixture of working on the sheep flock and the cattle <clears throat> as well, more on the, on the farm staff. Uh, but we also have colleagues working on the environment and ecology. So that's more John Holland, for example. So we're a mixture of expertise, I would say. 
just to pick up on one of the things that Robert said in terms of the environment, um, we get about two and a half to three metres of rain a year at Curtin, so that is one of the real big challenges, so as well as the kind of steep topography of the, the hill farm, the, the weather is one of the real big challenges. Yeah, it's the kind of place if you're going, you don't look at the weather, weather forecast, you just take your jacket. <laughs> you just assume the worst. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it's an awesome place to go and, and certainly one, if farmers get the chance, there's always a good message, there's always something interesting to come from it. And that's really the, the point of today is to get you two here just to have a, a rough run through what what's the exciting stuff. So we know... We could do another podcast with you and down the line. We could do a, you know, we certainly talking about the commercial system is interesting enough. I um, always like to see a hill farm like that putting cows back on. So we put cows off based on economics. You know, it seemed like the right thing to do was suckler cows not making money and actually taking them off had a bit of an impact on a negative impact on biodiversity and also the sheep system, the, you know, the whole economics of the job. So it's nice to see uh, you know, a, a realistic herd of cows back in that that place and things as well. But that's for um, further discussion down the line, I think. But back to sheep. Um, Nicola, do you want to run through what your kind of main trial, what you're looking at mostly at the moment? What's, what's on the go? Yeah, so for the last kind of 25 or more years, there's been some sort of breeding programme in place at Curtin as part of a research trial. Um, so way back in the late 90s, we developed a genetic selection index that was specific for hill sheep, so looking at maternal traits as well as lamb production traits. And we've been selecting a number of our blackface ewes on that index ever since then, and we've got graphs that can show really good genetic progress over that period of time. We've compared them to a control line of average genetic merit and to an industry line that we just selected based on visual appearance rather than any figures. Then we've moved through different phases of that breeding programme and trials. Um, we then compared the high index blackies to um, a clin flock that we brought in. We kept them in the same environment um, and we've tested them in, in two different types of hill systems. So we had a very um, high hill system where they were pushed out as far as we, uh, we could onto the hill at key times of the year compared to one that was more a park-based um, system using the hill ground for less of the, the use in different times of the year. Um, so we've got quite a lot of background information from that, looking at the, the Scottish blackface mainly, but also the clins. And so the new phase that we're going through now, we started last year, which is the Scottish government funded work, is to cross the blackies and the clins. Because from all the data that we'd collected from the previous phases of the work, there was some traits that the clins are really superior in, even in hill ground. <clears throat> um, so the, we do tend to get um, better carcass um, quality from them, for example. Um, but there's other traits that the blackies excel in, and especially in the very harsh winters, we did see that the clins took a bit of a, a hit um, and took longer to recover from uh, the, the very bad weather in terms of new condition and things. So 
this new phase, we're wanting to cross the Blackies and the Clins and develop a kind of composite breed, but just um, have mixing up the genes from these two breeds uh, to try and pull out the best genetics that we can get from mixing the two breeds. So we're not really looking at hybrid vigour as such. It's not a first cross thing that we want to compare. It's more um, a continued cross to, to develop this sort of crossbred composite line. So you'll be putting Clin Blackie tups to Clin Blackie ewes, would that be? That yeah, so because we had the Clin flock and the Blackie flock, we've got ewes of both types and tups of both types, so we've got both ways of cross to start with. So we've got quite a, a broad gene pool from the Blackies and the Clins uh, to develop that line. So from a, a from a genetics point of view, it doesn't matter, but we do like to look at things. You know, we yeah. do certainly the all these pedigree breeds are, and you know, and, and it's a an amazing. You go to the Island Show; it's an amazing showcase of all these breeds and stuff. But sometimes when you cross a thing, you get the best of both worlds. Look, looks wise. Yeah. What does a Blackie Cross clan actually look like? It can be quite variable. Uh, I think probably the, the thing you notice most is the difference in the horns. So some of them have horns, some of them have little kind of horn buds, and some of them don't have horns at all. Um, we're trying not to take that. We're recording that actually in all the sheep, but we're trying not to take it too much into account um, because it is sex-linked as well. So you get horns more often in the, the males and the females, but... Um, we're trying not to take the horns into account too much. The shepherds would like to keep all the ones without the horns because they're a lot easier to work with. Um, but at this point, we want to see if there's any links between that and any of the other traits that we're really interested in. So It, it goes back to what John Vipon said for years, which was find something that makes you money and learn to like the look of it. Yeah. So it's going to be <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd agree with that. A different looking thing. But yeah, sorry, that was a wee digression yeah. So I suppose is the, the main aim of this is not just to look at the production traits, although that's important, but to make a hill sheep that's more resilient and with less environmental impact. Um, so as well as recording all our traditional production traits, our maternal traits and our lamb traits, um, following them through the abattoir and getting carcass information, we're also recording some new traits, so we're looking at feed efficiency. Um, so we're taking a cohort of the lambs every year and running them through individual feed intake recording equipment. So it'll be a, a mix of offspring from each of the sires that we've had in the flock. And we're looking at how they grow over a six-week period in relation to how much in, uh, feed the individual animals eat. So we can then look at the efficiency of, of growth and see if we can find animals that, that grow more but eat less feed to achieve that. So feed efficiency is one of the new traits we're looking at. We're also CT scanning the, the same cohort of lambs um, twice, so at the beginning and at the end of that feed intake trial, and that's post-weaning. And what we want to see is are the differences in terms of how they lay down fat and muscle, and we can relate that to their feed intake. But also what we're measuring with the CT scanner is rumen volumes, and there's been quite a lot of research done previously 
by our group and also in Australia and New Zealand to show that the ones with the bigger rumens produce more methane. So this is really quite interesting for hill sheep because we know that having a big rumen makes it easier for them to digest very harsh uh, vegetation, the type of things, the type of uh, plants that would get up in the hill. So having a big rumen makes them more able to digest these very fibrous types of, of diet and the very poor quality vegetation. So what we don't really want to do is select them for lower methane, make them have really small rumens and then they can't function in the types of environments that we want to keep hill sheep in. So it's really building up a picture of how all these different production and environmental traits are related to each other so that if we do produce a genetic selection index at the end of this, it will be sustainable and it'll, it'll produce the sort of animals that we want to produce and it won't have any unfavourable negative consequences that we're not aware of. So try and get as much information about how these traits relate to each other and are there any win-wins or trade-offs that we have to consider. Is it fair to say, maybe Nicola, that the other thing, so obviously that trial is hugely important to the future of everything we do as red meat producers, but the the black loss story in Kirkton, so the, the main, the short-term gain for carbon footprint at Kirkton is to get more lambs in the ground or to get more lambs sold or retained from that flock. So there's also the, I just wonder sometimes if we chase too hard on the, just as you said about the small rumen thing, you chase that one metric down this road and we land up with something that's actually producing less methane but also producing a lot less lamb and ultimately the long-term impact is poorer conversion of poor quality forage and less lambs and less money and you know, it's a race to the bottom nearly so we just need to be we need all this research to be done but we need it to be done and then pulled into some sensible policy or a or business decision making down the line for a you know at a farm level um but it does it sounds sounds amazing it's it's great to see as well that the development of that long term you know said that that trial's been on the go for a long time and the value of that is you know, the data at the back of that must be colossal now so it's yeah really really good to see claire what's keeping you busy at the moment what's what are your your main um projects at the moment so um, I I used to work more on the sheep with Nicola, but um, in the past two or three years, we we've been really busy looking at the technology side of um, of the farm. So and as I was um, saying in the introduction, I've, um, we've been involved in, in quite a few of EU projects in the past few years, um, and again always the idea of trying to make the farm more efficient or or better in a sense. So um, <clears throat> one of the projects I'm working on is called Euroship, and it's uh, what we call a, a thematic network. So the idea is to have a lot of farmer and researcher and, and consultant in Europe to come together and try to find solution to issues that farmer have identified. So that one is particular on animal health and nutrition management. And we, we, have, we had a lot of discussion in the past three years trying to find solution and it's not really a lot of research done at Kirkton itself but we're kind of banking on all the research we've done in the past and, and some of the information Nicola was talking about 
for, from the feed efficiency point, for example, are part of the, the topic we brought to that project. So this one is, is nearly finished, but it's really one we, where we're trying to organize workshop with farmer and have these discussions around these important issues. So that's the first one. The two other ones are more technologically um, orientated, I would say, and we're trying to help farmers use technology on their sheep farm or encourage uptake to make them aware that using tech is not just for dairy cows, but can be very useful for small ruminant and sheep, especially in, in our sort of environment where you don't always know where your animal are. And the big issue there is is cost benefit. So you could put a GPS on all your animal, but it's really expensive. So it's trying to find a, a balance. So one of the projects is called SMART. It's a thematic network like Euroship. And we're trying to showcase farmer how you can use technology that's already in the shop. Um, and we're using Kirkton as what we call a, a DG farm. So Kirkton's got so many technology already, as, as you probably know, Robert, we've got the EID Waycrate, we've got a conveyor, we use a stick reader, Cyan, but we also have weather station sensors in the ground. So a bit more like a, a research uh, sensors farm, if you want. So where's the ideal place for farmer to come up, have a look at what we're doing, try the kit. We've, we've done a training session back in June where farmer could come and play around with our toys and try to get more of a feel of how to use the technology and, and try to demystify these fear maybe or, or, you know, issues of not enough training, these sorts of things. So we want Kirkton to be like a, a hub for farmer to come and, and, and try the tools. So that project is still ongoing. Um, and like Euroship, we're doing a lot of discussion workshop with trying to take farmer abroad as well on the other country involved in the project to see how other countries deal with the technology. So again, uh, we're not a, a tourist agent, but <laughs> we're still taking farmer abroad to see wh what's going on. So that, that, that second one. And the last one is more research orientated and we've done um, experiment on the ground. So this one is how we can use technology to monitor welfare in our sort of environment. Um, and I can talk a little bit that a bit later if you want. Um, but um, it's probably in a nutshell, the three main activities I've been doing at Kirkton lately. The technology thing I find really quite exciting. So when I was doing my degree, we were hearing about technology that was coming. And at that stage, it was things like, you know, basic GPID, which was, you know, going to be a revolution and and kind of has but it was forced on us and it didn't really you know the uptake of so obviously the uptake of the tag was compulsory so everyone did it the uptake of using it was pretty low but it's amazing how many folk now certainly thanks to sustainable capital grant scheme and various other things that has changed the sheep sector and will continue to but but the thing the exciting bit we're talking about inflation and you know Nobody's money's going far at all, but most of these technologies are actually deflating. You know, they're getting, most things are getting cheaper. But obviously, we had the COVID thing with chips and all kinds of stuff, but the direction of travel for a lot of this technology is for it to become cheaper and more available to farmers and better. So when it comes to particularly hill areas, you know, there's a lot of economic pressure across the board. You know, there's a lot of... Um, Farmers need to do things in different ways, and that 
often involves stock being pushed further out for longer and with less shepherding, less input from the farmer. So if we can get, you know, these, these technologies can monitor, if we can monitor whether an animal is moving, if we can monitor whether it's drinking, eating, ruminating, most of our job is done. You know, it's, a, it's really quite exciting to see. Um, and indeed, and, and one of that project in, in the tick care project in particular with that welfare management is, is exactly where we're coming from, Robert, because we know that every sheep farmer or a good farmer for that um, purpose, they're all pushed for for economics. You know, we, we know we're not a, a very... Um, um, I mean, the, the sector is obviously very buoyant and everything, but money is really tight for sheep. And you won't spend the same amount of money on your individual sheep that you would maybe on your dairy cow. So I, I think it's it's that mindset we have to, to work with. So the whole idea of that Take Care project is trying to find simple technology that probably already exists on the farm or that can be adapted for the sheep sector, and that's affordable. And as you say, some of the thing we've been trying last winter and we're doing it again this year is based exactly around that. So we're using EID tag to weigh the sheep regularly and see if weight change can be a, an indicator of, of welfare issues. But we're also working with these new sensors. Um, we're working with a proxy, what we call proximity logger, but it's a, it's a fancy name. We're, we're working with a, a Bluetooth that's on the sheep. And then we've got the receiver on the resource, so it can be the, the hay feeder or the, the block that you put outside. And we can see how many times a sheep has been next to that feed resource. Um, and it's all, all the information is sent via our um, LoRa system, which is like a, a big Wi-Fi we've got on the farm. Because one of the issues as well is connectivity in our farm. Not everybody's got mobile phone coverage. <laughs> so it's trying to find system to, to get these, uh, these information transferred. And what we've been doing last year was trying to, I think we had 100 sheep in a field, on one of our rough field, a mixture of blackface and clean. And we were trying to see which sheep were going to the feeder, which one were never going there, and at the same time monitoring their welfare. So we were doing welfare assessment regularly and see, for example, a lame sheep was going maybe regularly to feed and then suddenly stops going. So you could get an alert on your phone and say, sheep number five used to come and drink or feed. It's not been seen for two days. Go and check it, these sorts of ideas. So it's a kind of a, a very crude alert because we can't have an alert every five seconds, but it's just to give more flexibility to the farmer to see what's happening on these vast fields where you don't necessarily have the time to check every animal every day all the time. So it's um, it's where we're trying to, to go for. GPS would be great. Yeah. And, and, and the idea is to have this kind of kit that's not very expensive. I mean, a Bluetooth tag is, is around 10 pounds, I think, or something at the moment. So compare that with a, a GPS collar, that's probably 200 pounds. So it's this kind of, of cost um, issues we're taking into account in the project as well. I'm finding it really, really exciting, the whole... So again, the GPS collar, I remember Tony Waterhouse at Kirkton actually talking about the, the original GPS collars, which were pretty primitive and pretty... Um, they they did a job, um, but the the no fence collars and other companies coming into the market now are 
very sophisticated we think at the moment but when you see the technology that we can add into that so they are talking about putting some of the a dairy cow pedometer stuff into those collars because you know that the technology is there and they don't need much power anyway so they've got the scope down the line to have so much information coming at us probably too much information coming at us but the the interesting for me i think um the collars for hills for for low ground systems i think they're too expensive you know i think we can do a, a good job with poly wires and port- portable water trucks and you know we can manage a field-based cattle system and sheep system without them but when it comes to hill cows i think the the gps collar is a game changer if and if it does nothing else it allows us to prioritize the grazing we can eat the poor stuff at the the low, the the less important time of year, and defer the good stuff. Hopefully, that the deer don't eat, um, but defer the good stuff for nearer calving time. So, exactly. Do you yeah. think we'll see a point where that that technology becomes cheap enough to effectively heft hill use as well? Do you think that's is that? A I think so, but I mean, I mean it's, it's no offence. It, it's uh, it's quite revolutionary, really, but um, it is still very expensive, and even the Norwegian mm-hmm. farmer find it expensive for their own sheep um, but if more farmers are interested and if the market opens you, you always hope that the price will come down I think that the price of technology is really going down I mean if you think of what your mobile phone can do these days compared to five years ago you know it's quite mind-blowing and I think more and more um, companies that work maybe purely in the industry or, or mobile phone industry and don't really understand livestock. They are coming now into the livestock sector and trying to bring their expertise in, into that. But if we're going back to some of the, the kit we're testing, for example, the Bluetooth, um, some of the experiment we're doing as well, we've got a PhD looking at that, is trying to do triangulation. So if you've got different receiver in different parts of your farm, you can triangulate where you ship have been or not been, and so you're you're bypassing a GPS um, ID. So you you can try to zone your farm in different area, and then you say, well, that sheep's been seen in that zone yesterday or two two hours ago, etc. So I think the way the technology is going, we might be able to avoid needing satellite to exactly pinpoint where your sheep are with a, an expensive GPS collar and use these smaller or different type of um, of sensor to just calculate where you ship have been if you see what i mean so it's this kind of a i think you can think of all the, the kind of film we've we've seen in the past where the um, the main hero is being checked with his phone because you can triangulate and know exactly where he's been last so it's a bit of the same idea but with just sheep and different sensor in your farm so yeah um, I remember hearing the, you know, in the, when you use your phone as a sat nav, it tells you when there's, you get a red line when there's lots of cars, you know, when the traffic's backed up. And you think, you know, it, it's really quite impressive, but all that is is just triangulated phone signals. It's exactly. just lots of people's phones sitting next to each other, which is quite a grim a picture of humanity, really, isn't it? <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, you can, but you're just being looked uh, or checked. So I think it's the same idea is bringing that that kind of uh, of um, yeah tech into the livestock world. And and I think there is a lot of opportunity for for sheep farming, at least in Scotland, to use that technology. And um, 
I suppose one last thing we, we're really looking at, and it's more a, a work of a PhD, um, Amy Walker, who is with us at Kirkton. She's looking at the distance between the, the U and the lamb around lambing time using these same beacon um, and trying to, again, ascertain at what stage is the lamb too far away from its mother. And it's really to, again, maybe send an alert down the line to the farmer and say you might have a mismothering issues here, etc. So again, it's trying to make farmers' life easier to check on its flock when you maybe uh, are a bit stressed for time, for for labor, or, or your environment is not exactly easy to to just uh, access. So um, so Amy is still working at, uh, at some of the data she's recorded, but hopefully we can have a Again, a system of zones, so um, red, green, and amber. So if your animal is in the red zone, something is wrong. <laughs> but if you're in the green, then everything is fine. So um, it's um, it's it's what we're trying to do at the moment anyway. So. Oh, that's amazing stuff. So both, we'll bring Nicola back in just now as well, is I wonder what, so your views, you are working up the west coast, you know, you're you're in, you're a effectively farming in the west coast. What so it's changed a lot, and there's a lot there's a lot of sheep have gone off, there's a lot of cattle have gone off. Do you think wh- where do you think the future is for hill farming in the west coast of Scotland? Do you think we've got is is there enough reasons to be positive out there? Do you think we've got a bright future? Hopefully, I think. Um Back to the the kind of idea of the hill sheep being able to use land and graze land that's unsuitable for other sort of agricultural production. I think that's a big issue in the West Coast. If we're going to be productive um, in terms of agriculture, I think hill sheep definitely have to play a part in that. Um, And with the, the information that's coming out of these research projects and from other places, now, there is a lot of scope within the sheep that we already keep in these sort of environments to make improvements in efficiency and resilience and um, and then bringing in the technologies that we're talking about as well, maybe ways to make um, labour more efficient and and reduce costs in the, in the long term. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that there is a positive future, um, I suppose, relying on how subsidies are going to change and things like that as well. But I think we have the building blocks to, to do some some really good um, commercial production. That's good. Claire, are you equally positive? Are we all good? Yeah, I think so. And and having worked in this project, looking at what other countries do in Europe and beyond, we all have the same challenges and issues and and bringing together that worldwide expertise in a sense, I think it's um, it's reassuring to think that we're not on our own and maybe a solution or a good idea can be found very easily. And, and um, yeah, I think, like Nicola says, um, sheep production in, in Scotland, we rely on, on on type of grass that you can't do much about it or, or with it. Um, so let's use what we've got and make sure the, the sector is sustainable. So, yeah, I'm positive. <laughs> yeah, and uh, equally I'm positive. I'm positive, but also we need to embrace change. You know, we need to, what we've always done isn't going to do, you know, what, where we're going, it's changing. And uh, I think we do need to embrace what you guys are 
not all of it. You know, some I know all research you start off with an idea, and some often it doesn't work. But the good outputs, the positive stories that come out of Kirkton, I think we all need to be aware of and, and altering our businesses. Because the interesting thing I, I think is, you know, for non-hill farmers, is there is the process, the 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 technology stuff that's coming out of Kirkton is impacting us all. You know, it's it's good stuff. It's it's very relevant to the West Coast, but it's also relevant to uh, green farms elsewhere in the country. So uh, it's good. And I think really just a shout out that these this farm, this this whole process is up is done for farmers. It's for us. So the thing going to see it, talking about it for half an hour on a podcast is great, um, and hopefully gives people an insight into what you guys do. But there's nothing like going to see it. So I think the I hope I'm not putting words in your in your mouth to say that, you know, if you get if anybody gets the chance to go to Kirkton, they should grab it with both hands and, and go for a look. And and also have take the opportunity to maybe um impact the research a wee bit as well and steer the direction of travel for it too. Yeah, um, definitely. So yes, we're, yeah. And we're definitely that- open for business. Our, our kind of main aims are research and demonstration. So definitely the demonstration part. If we're doing what we're doing and, and nobody knows about it, that's no good. And the research has to be in collaboration with the industry as well. We have to be doing things that, that one can be funded, I suppose, um, and that are going to be relevant for the industry and are going to make a difference. So, yeah, if anyone can be involved in any of these projects, it would be encouraged. Yeah, please do. And and uh, as we were, I was saying, um, Robert, these projects um, we're working on, it's um, there is a very strong aspect on stakeholder engagement. So it's it's farmers basically, and we want to know what they think. Um, we might be going around the wrong direction, and and we need that discussion. Otherwise, as Nicholas say, we're doing research and and nobody hears about it. So um, please come along and and pester us and ask us daft question or good question or anything and we'd be happy to just answer that's what we're here for really yeah perfect good to hear thanks for your time guys that's been really good thank, thank you. you robert if you enjoyed listening to stock talk you may enjoy some of our other podcasts such as crofting matters which is a 12-part monthly show that discusses all things crofting in scotland including livestock management You may also enjoy our new podcast, Agriculture, which tells the stories of some interesting and influential people in the agricultural industry. Just search Crofting Matters or Agriculture wherever you get your podcasts from. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.